0: What is up, Northridge Church? Man, we're so excited that you would join us this weekend, and no matter where you're watching us from, whether it's our online stream or you're watching us on your television, man, welcome to Northridge Church, and thank you for just taking a piece of your weekend and hanging out with us. My name is Drew, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so excited that you would join us, and you know, in in the midst of all of this quarantine stuff, being at home, the stay-at-home order, you know, I have you know, three little kids, and it's, it's hard at times to keep them busy and entertained. But my oldest daughter, Joelle, she's around five, every once in a while, she will come to me, and she will bring me one of these. Now, probably from looking at this, you don't know what this is, but it's a puzzle. And I would bet probably right now, puzzles have become Pretty popular dealing with what we're dealing with. And you know, Joel and I, we, we always love a, a good challenge of trying to find all the places for the pieces. But what's really hard about this puzzle, you might not know by seeing it, but it doesn't come with a picture. And so as Joel and I go to, to finish this puzzle, we have absolutely no perspective. No idea of what we're trying to replicate or recreate. We're just kind of jamming pieces of the puzzle together because there's no picture, no direction for us to head in. I mean, have you ever tried to put a puzzle together without the picture? It can be really frustrating and almost at sometimes times agonizing. And yet, I would actually suggest that that's how many of us live our lives. We're kind of just like this puzzle that Joelle and I try to put together is we just go through life day after day, not really knowing who we wanna become or actually who God wants us to become. And so we just kind of go through the motions. We wing our lives hoping that God will make something beautiful out of us. And that's why this morning we're starting a brand new series called A Life That Matters. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be just talking about a journey of how you and I can create a life that actually counts, that, means for, means some, for it, that a life that counts, that, that means something to other people that is significant. And What's hard about that is in the journey of creating a life that matters, what really gives us that perspective? What really gives us that picture of where, what our, where, where we want our life to go? Well, you see, it's two things that we don't often want to interact with. It's two things that we don't plan or predict, it's death and crisis. And what's amazing is even though we don't want to experience those things, even though we are right now, God uses these two things in our lives to really bring our life into focus. You see, death brings perspective and crisis brings clarity. It is absolutely fascinating how God uses death, something that we don't want to have to experience with people that we love, something that we can't plan for, and crisis, something we're living in right now, and how these two things actually bring a sharp laser focus into our lives. I would bet probably some of you have been asking some of those questions right now as you sit in your home, as you think about what's going on in our country, in our world, you might have asked the question as you think about your life, does my life really matter? And that's why we're gonna have this conversation over the next five weeks where you and I together, we can learn how to create a life that truly does matter. And we're going to start in Psalms chapter 90. Psalms chapter 90, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Grab your Bible right now or your device and turn to Psalms chapter 90. We're going to plant ourselves there this morning. And as you're kind of making your way to Psalms chapter 90, I kind of want to set the scene for you. I kind of want you to have an understanding of the backdrop of this passage. You see, it's a psalm written by Moses, And Moses was one of the first early leaders in the Bible. And if you look at his life and you study his life, you will realize that he lived to be 120 years old. Now, man, even in our culture, and our context, 120 years, like, like, good job, Moses. Like, that's a long life. But what's interesting about his 120 years is you can actually break them up into three 40-year segments. The first 40 years I call the, the life of luxury, where Moses was born a Hebrew, and he should have been dead according to one of Pharaoh's decrees, but his mother ships him in a basket, and he actually becomes adopted into the the family of Pharaoh. Every need he has is taken care of. He lives the, the life of luxury until one day he steps out of the palace, and he sees an Egyptian guard beating a Hebrew servant. It bothers him And he ends up killing the Egyptian guard and fleeing Egypt, where he steps into his second 40-year term. I call it the life of preparation or the season of preparation, where God takes him from the life of luxury and makes him a shepherd. And as a shepherd, God prepares him and molds him and makes him into the man and the leader that he needed him to be. And one day as a shepherd, he's out in his fields and he sees this burning bush, and it's God speaking to him. And he calls him to go back to Egypt and deliver the nation of Israel out of bondage. And that's where he enters his last 40 years, where God would make Moses the deliverer of, of the nation of Israel. And man, in just that short summary of his 120 years of life, you look at it and you're like, man, what a, what a journey. What a journey full of experience, a roller coaster ride of emotion. And Psalms chapter 90 is actually Moses staring at death. He's getting ready to die and he knows it. And he looks back at his life, 120 years of experience and wisdom, and he pens a song for us to be reminded of the truths that he learned in the 120 years of his life. And we start in verse one where it says this. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And I absolutely love where where Moses starts. He says, Lord, you, you have been our dwelling place. And what Moses does is he reminds us of a truth and it's a simple but yet really profound and powerful truth for our lives. Thousands of years later, he reminds us that God is our refuge. Moses rem- looks back at all of his life and what the first thing he recognizes is when his anxieties were raised, raise, when, when his worries were, were raging, when, when his fear and his, he was scared, he's like, you know what I did in those moments? I turned to God because he was my refuge. He was my dwelling place. And if we ever needed to be reminded of that truth, maybe now is the time as we deal with this pand- pandemic. As your fears and my fears rage, as we're worried about our jobs and our kids and our future, Moses reminds, us of, uh, Moses reminds us of the place we turn to. That God is our refuge. And it's almost like Moses is saying God is like home. Because you, know, you know the expression, right? Like home is, it, 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 there's no place like home. Home is where we feel comfort and stability and security. And it's almost like Moses is suggesting that God is is that place for us. It's that place of security and comfort. I mean, have you ever been on like an extended work trip or vacation? Maybe it was like a week or two weeks and towards the end of that vacation or towards the end of, of that business trip, you just longed for home. Like you just long for the smell of, of your home. You, you long for to sleep in your bed with your sheets or eat your food because there's no place like home. And Moses, as he looks back at his life, the first thing he reminds us of is that God is our refuge. He's that place that provides comfort. He's that place that provides security and stability for all of us, no matter what we're dealing with. But he continues in verse three, he he says this, you turn back, you turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it is dry and withered. And right here, Moses kind of shifts gears. He starts with, God, you're the place. You're my dwelling place. You're my refuge. But then he talks about a second truth that he's reminded in his life. And it's, it's, it's so simple, and yet it's a powerful reminder for all of us, is that life is short. I mean, look at the imagery that Moses uses. He's, he talks about us being grass, and how like grass many times is lush and it's green, but yet it, the next day it's dry and withered and dead. He says, a thousand years to us. Think about how much our world has changed in a thousand years. He says, a thousand years, that time frame is like a day to God. And what he reminds us of is that life is really short. You can almost see Moses on, on top of a mountain, looking back, and all the memories of his life, all the things he's been through, and he's he's reminded, man, that went by quick. You know, I'm reminded of that so many times in my life. I'm 33 years old, which really doesn't feel that old. But yet I can't believe sometimes that I'm a father of three kids. I've been in ministry for 12 years. It's kind of like, man, where did life go? It, it quickly flies away. In fact, that's what he says in verse 10. He, he says this, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And So Moses reminds us that God is our refuge. And he says, hey, life is short. It's gonna fly by quickly. And maybe in the season of our lives, we, we can kind of relate to that truth because we don't feel the invincibility that we often do because we see all over the news, people dying. We're afraid of getting the virus and wondering what it will do to us. And it helps us recognize, it gives us that perspective that life is short. But Moses continues, verse 7, he says, We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. If we only knew the power of your anger, your wrath as great as the fear that is due you. You see, the third thing Moses reminds us of is that God knows everything. Moses looks at his life and he's reminded of those secret sins. He says the secret sins that we all have. You know, I would bet probably you have some secret sins. Sins that you have kept from everybody. Those addictions, that lust, the judgment you have for people that you happens in your mind that you wouldn't want anybody else to hear. And in fact, they're so secret, sometimes we forget we even have them. And Moses reminds us, he says, those secret sins are brought into the light of God's presence, that he is sovereign, that he is everywhere, and he knows everything. You might be able to keep it from your spouse or your family or people, the people closest to you, but you can't keep it from God because he knows everything. And Moses says, actually, that truth, being reminded of that truth, causes us to live in this fear and reverence of God. And so Moses looks back at 120 years of experience in life, moments and memories, and he reminds us that God is our refuge, that he's the place that, man, when life gets like it is right now, he's that place of comfort and stability and security. He reminds us that life is short, like it's fleeting, it's, it's going by fast. And he reminds us that God knows everything. And what's interesting about these three truths is they're actually just a framework They're a framework that Moses is building to get to verse 12. Because in verse 12, Moses does something I think is really significant. As he looks back at his life, he gives generations to come some advice to change some things about their life to actually create a life that matters. Here's what he says in Psalms chapter 90, verse 12. I'd encourage you, if you write in your Bibles, highlight it, mark it. He says this, he says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. For a moment, that verse, like just let it seep into your heart. He says, number your days. If you wanna be wise, if you wanna live in wisdom, if you wanna have today a life that matters, that has significance, that has impact, Moses says, the way that you do that is you live like you're gonna die. You live with the perspective, you have the focus that today might be my last, and so I'm gonna make the most of it. Number your days. You know, I would suggest and say it just a little bit differently. You see, today if you're watching online or on your television, and you're saying, you know what, I've been asking those questions true. Questions like, does my life really matter? Questions like, man, is my life significant? And you might be wondering, how do I start this journey? How do I get on the path that, that I know at the end of my life, it will matter. It will count for something. Moses says, number your days. I would say, and I would challenge you as we start this series and we walk down this path, I would challenge you to begin with the end in mind. As you look at your life, that you wouldn't focus in on the nitty gritty, but you would actually look ahead to who you wanna be and who you wanna become. And you would focus on that. You know, it's, it's, it's kinda like this puzzle that my daughter and I were doing. You see, what so many of us do when we try to finish a puzzle is we zoom in at all the pieces. We spread them out and we try to look at them and figure it out. And that's what we do with our lives is we we look at all the pieces, the days that we have, and we try to create something beautiful. But what Moses says to us is he says, stop looking at all the pieces that you have and start imagining, start dreaming with God of who he wants you to be and who you should become and create the picture that you want to be and then start putting the pieces of your life together. I mean, can you imagine how much easier this puzzle would be if we just simply had a picture? See, some of you you guys, you're living your life and you have no clue where you're going or where you're headed or who you wanna become. And what would change in your life if you actually had a picture of the man or woman that you wanted to become? You see, one of the wisest men to ever live on the face of the earth other than Jesus. His name was King Solomon. And he says this, something very similar to Moses. He almost echoes Moses' words. He says this in Ecclesiastes chapter seven. He says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. As you read what Solomon says, it's almost crazy. He says, it's actually better to go to a funeral than a wedding. It's better to go to a a house of mourning and weeping, crying than a house of celebration. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, whoa, this is the wisest guy? Like, really, did he just kind of lose it later on in life? Because I was just at a funeral. It was my dad's. And this was the last place I ever wanted to be. Full of tears, heartache and pain. I'd much rather go to a wedding a day of celebration, a day with good food and rejoicing. Like, why in the world would I choose a funeral over a wedding, a cemetery over a party? This makes no sense. But it does when you read the verse, he says, because for death is the destiny of everyone. See, the truth is, is you and I can't escape death. Now, it wasn't God's original plan. He didn't create us to die, but yet our rebellion to him, our sin caused death and we can't get around it. I mean, we see it every day on the news right now, thousands of people dying because that is the destiny of everyone. And the reason why Solomon says it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding is because of the perspective and the clarity that a funeral gives your life. It reminds you that you are going to die. And if you don't choose to change some things about your life, will it really matter? In fact, I would ask you that. Maybe you're next on death's list. We have no way of knowing. But what if tomorrow didn't have any plans for your life and you were to die? Can I ask you this question? Would your life really matter? Now for a moment before you push that question off, think about it. Would your life truly matter? Would it count? Would it last? Because we don't know when we're gonna die. We don't know when that day is going to come, but we can do some things to get ready for it. Because death and crisis, they bring that perspective to us that nothing really else can. It brings our life into sharp focus of who we want to be and who God wants us to become. And rather than actually talking about it more, I wanted you to hear a story about it. You know, if you've been going to our church, you've probably heard me mention a couple names of people who are very near and dear to me. Their names are Rodney and Cindy. They watch on our online stream almost every single weekend. Rodney and Cindy, I love you. I was blessed for them to actually become my Southern parents. They adopted me and treated me like their own son. And about two years ago, their life would be turned upside down. A crisis would hit that they didn't plan for or they predicted. But yet in the midst of that crisis, I believe God gave them a new perspective. Check this out.
1: July of 2018, I started experiencing some pains in the cheek area. But we have a good friend who's a neurologist, Dr. Etn. I call her Jenny. Her first name is Kathleen, but. Uh, so I called Jenny up and I said, hey Jenny, I'm experiencing some pains. He said, swing by the house let me look at it. She lives in our subdivision. So Cindy and I and my oldest daughter and her son, my grandson, we went over there and we sat down and she looked at me and said, ah, you're just having sympathy pains for Cindy because her left side of the face was, was hurting as well. We went out to eat and I was sharing her. I said, you know that pain I was telling you about a week ago, it's starting to increase up. It's starting to go up the side of my face back toward my ear. And she looked at me and she stared at me. She said, you're coming by my office Monday morning and we're going to do an examination. I met with her Monday morning, was in her office Thursday. I go to the hospital, to the MRI. I thought everything was fine. Later on that day, uh, Dr. Etn Jenny, she calls me up at, at night. She was actually working late and it was you know eight or nine o'clock she called me she goes Rodney she goes the MRI showed some lesions around the top of your skull at the brain area she said I'm gonna actually refer you she goes I don't know what's going on it looks there's some lesions up there we're not sure but we need a neurosurgeon to look at it and give us an opinion but it was a real for someone who likes to be in control and it was a real sobering moment to think, I'm not in control of this at all. This is completely, completely different. So you can imagine, I went to, I went to the bed that night and slept a little bit, but uh, just prayed, prayed a lot. Prayed, Lord, what, uh, you know, what's in store, what's gonna happen, what's, you know, I know you're in control, but it really tests your faith, if you will. But we go to see uh, Dr. Metz, Dr. Jeff, and he schedules an MRI. And he sits in there and talks to me, and he gets the other MRI from Piedmont. And I said, is there a stage? She goes, from the activity, he said, it's at least three or four. I said, okay. So we got through the MRI, come out. And uh, Cindy and I went to, went to lunch afterwards, and, and Jeff calls me up and said, yeah, we've, we found a tumor said, we're going to run a PET scan. And then at that point, it looks like cancer. It feels like cancer. We, we think it's cancer. So I took it on myself just to, just to walk down to the backyard and just to walk around. So I was in my barefoot. This is the end of July. It was warm. So I was just walking to the, to the backyard. And I was just praying to the Lord, walking, just thinking, God, what do what, what you have in store for me? It's, you know, is this, is this the end of my earthly life? Is this, is this what it's going to be? And I just had all these questions. And it was from out of nowhere. It was like, son, you have no idea. And I, I looked over there and there was, there was an apple tree and a fig tree. So I went and I pulled the fig tree leaf off the fig tree and I looked at it. And at that point, I was convicted over my pride, over my self, you know. I just thought I could do everything myself. I really didn't rely on God the way I should have relied on the Lord. I mean, my relationship was good, but my confession and my pride, and he just broke me. I broke down and, and cried like a baby. Cassie came and picked me up when she picked me up. I could tell the Lord had gotten a hold of her. She was all in tears, and she told me, said, Dad, somebody's gonna be waiting for you. Cassie, I just had a long day. I don't want anybody, I don't want, I'm spent, I don't, no, you, I've, I've approved, no, you're good. And I said, oh. and I, it was about a 20 minute ride home. And I kept, I was just anxious and angst about it. I'm like, I don't want nobody there. I want to be by myself. I don't want anybody, just family. She goes, no, Somebody said, somebody's gonna be there. Like, oh. I'm just, you can tell, am still emotional about the day two years later. And there's a fellow named Derek Jett. He sits there and meets me in the driveway. And uh, I just shake my head. And we just hug in the driveway. And Cindy and Grady and Cassie leave us in the house by ourselves. And Derek and I go sit in the think tank. And Derek Jett's, a, at the time, 27-year-old kid who had been through... Oh, nine cancer surgeries, I think. We were wrapping up and he, he stands up and he says, I want to leave you with something. I said, okay. So he stands up and he reaches in his front pocket and he pulls out and he holds up his cross and he gives it to me. And uh, he said, that cross has been with me through all my surgeries. He said, and everywhere I've been, he said, No matter what you go through, that cross will get you through anything. When you have near-death experience or talking about, and my, my comment would be, you know, you concentrate on the majors. There's only two things that last forever, your soul and relationships. Make sure your soul's in check. If you're not a believer, I challenge you to take up the cross and look at it and ask God, to show himself to you. That's the two things that matter in this life. Everything else is dust in the wind. And I know there's a lot of heartache in this country right now, but if we'll get on our knees and we'll cling to the cross, no matter what it is, we can all get through.
0: You know, you might wonder, how does a man who has a brain tumor, inoperable, there's no medicine to take it away, how can he have that perspective? It's because Rodney understands what truly makes a life that matters. It's the cross, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, the good news is, even though death is the destiny of everybody. Jesus Christ handed us the keys to the victory over death as he spread his arms out wide and he died for us and he resurrected on the third day so that although we would die, he would give us life. And I believe this with my whole heart, to create a life that truly matters, you gotta do exactly what Rodney said. You gotta look at the cross. And you gotta see what Jesus accomplished for you on your behalf, that he paid a penalty that you couldn't pay, that he intervened on your behalf. And when you choose to submit to that and believe in that and surrender your life to that, that is the beginning of creating a life that will last. And so I would ask you if you wanna do that. I would give you an opportunity right now that if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes and you would say this prayer in your heart, God, I want my life to matter. God, I want it to count. And God, I believe that starts by understanding that my sin broke things up. It created death. But yet in the midst of my sin, God, you created a way through your son, Jesus Christ, so I don't have to die. I might die physically, but I don't have to die spiritually. So God, today I'm believing and trusting in what your son did for me on that cross. And I believe that three days later he resurrected from the grave. And today I'm submitting to that truth. I'm surrendering it to it. And will you right now, God, in my life, begin the process of making my life count? You know, if you said that prayer, I would challenge you. We've done this for five weeks in a row. We've seen 62 people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If you've said that prayer, would you just tell somebody it's a simple text message to your Friend, it's a simple email to us or whoever. Just let somebody know. In fact, if you're watching at live.northridge. If you're watching live at northridgerochester.com, you'll see on the bottom bar of your screen a raise your hand if you said that prayer. All you got to do is click on that. You can fill out your information and we'll be in contact with you. But I want to make it easy for everybody. You'll see a screen that has all my information on it, all our church's information. If you said that prayer, please let us know. We'll follow up with you will care for you. I'd love to send a Bible for you to continue the journey of walking with Jesus. What a moment in your life where you actually begin the process of creating a life that truly does matter. So I just wanna thank you for joining us. Thanks for taking the time of your weekend. I know there's a lot of things you could be doing, but we are so grateful that you chose to hang out with us on our stream or on your television. And here's what I want you to know is we wanna connect with you. And we don't wanna connect with you to get something out of you. We just actually just wanna be there for you. And so if you could just grab your phone right now and just send us a text message at this number. It is 585-210-8564. And we'll be there for you. Let us know of the needs that you have. There's a person waiting for your text message. If you wanna get to know our church a little bit, who we are, what we stand for, what we believe, you can visit NorthridgeRochester.com, a place where you can get to know who we are. But this happens because of the faithful generosity of our church. And here's what I want you to know is, man, we're not desperate for your money. I know there's a lot of preachers on TV that are begging you for money. And that's just not us. If you're a guest here, please know, don't feel any pressure to give. But if you call Northridge Church home, we wanna be a church that brings the gospel and hope to the darkness. And the only way that's possible is honestly through the generosity of people who call this place home. And so if you choose to partner with us or you'd like to give, you can just simply grab your phone and text 77977. And that's an easy way to make that happen. But again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of our services. We love you guys and we wanna be here for you. We hope you have a fantastic day. We will see you back next week for week two of A Life That Matters.